This is Digital Impact 4Q4. I'm Chris Delatore. Today's four questions are for Alex Guerriere, CEO of Global Giving, and Alison Carlman, Director of Evidence and Learning at Global Giving. In 2019, the global crowdfunding platform introduced a research program and long-term discovery process to address what it calls the neutrality paradox, a phenomenon experienced by platforms moderating user-generated content. Operating under the guise of neutrality, platforms like Global Giving are often forced to take a stand on various issues, which presents an inherent paradox of neutrality. A year later, the project has taken a surprise turn. Today, two of the architects are here to talk about what this could mean for platforms and the future of content moderation. Alex, one of Global Giving's core values is being always open. The platform was designed to be neutral, to give everyone a voice, which, as we see perhaps most vividly with social media platforms, ultimately requires making value judgments, uh, deciding what is and isn't allowed, for instance. Now, it's 20 years in, and you're seeing a problem with neutrality, specifically for philanthropy intermediaries like Global Giving. Now, your new strategy ethos could change all of that. Why the shift and why Global Giving? And how new is this concept? Should private sector platforms be following suit? Uh, well, first, Chris, I'll just want to thank you for giving us this chance to talk about the work. It's great to have a chance to talk to you live. And um, I know that Allison and I are pretty proud of the work that she's been leading and that we've been doing on, on this topic. So it's great to have a chance to share a little bit more about it. And I also wanna thank you for starting with one of our core values, uh, one of our four, always open. And that is the idea that great ideas can come from anywhere among our corporate values, it really is quite a foundational one for us. When our founders um, started Global Giving at the World Bank, uh, when they were executives at the World Bank, um, the idea for this crowdfunding platform and this giving platform really grew out of this knowledge that uh, no one person holds all the answers, right? Even for the super smart people working at the World Bank, um, not all the answers are known, not all the right approaches are known. And so you want that openness to allow for new ideas, um, new approaches that you've never heard of to see the light of day and get funding and perhaps scale. So openness is core to uh, our identity. Um, if you'll forgive me for making this um, analogy, you know, I studied physics when I was an undergrad and there's this fact in physics that um, at the very beginning of the universe, there were many forces, uh, uh, magnetism, the forces that hold atomic nuclei together that actually were the same force, that they started out being the same thing. And then as the universe evolved, they sort of split off and differentiated. And actually, I think that that can be true if it's a little bit of a forced analogy about the idea of openness and this other concept that you introduced, which is neutrality that for a small scale, they start to look the same. But then as we grew, um, that's when it became clear that although it's critical that we hold on to the idea of openness, um, this idea of neutrality uh, really started to fall apart. Um, and what happens as you grow is that 
even though we can be neutral for 90% or 99% or 99.5%, that small fraction of cases where neutrality fails starts to take over um, much more time, uh, much more of our time. And um, so that's what we've experienced as we've grown as a platform, that those cases where it really is impossible to maintain neutrality. And I'll just give you one example. An example is, let's say a nonprofit partner wants to come onto Global Giving to promote um, a project that is founded on an idea of vaccine hesitancy. Well, that's a topic where regardless of what you decide, even a sort of hands-off, let the project stand approach, you're actually not being neutral. You're making a stand either proactively or implicitly on the validity of, of this idea of vaccine hesitancy. Um, and so that's just one example of where neutrality fails. Um, and so as you grow, those cases, although they take their small percentage, start to demand more and more attention. Um, the reason that we started to work on this and how we came to Ethos was to, when we realized that we needed a more systematic way of, of thinking about this. Um, in terms of novelty, you know, you, you ask how new is this concept? I, I think it's based on tools that have existed for a long time. Um, uh, we've used human-centered design. Um, we've incorporated ideas coming out of uh, restorative justice. Um, but putting them together on, on this topic is, is new. Um, it's showing that um, there's actually quite a bit that we can do. Um, and, you know, you also, I think, quite intuitively link this to some of the challenges that are facing our for-profit cousins, um, you know, platforms that everyone out there is familiar with. Um, and I very much do think that there are lessons here for those platforms to take away. Allison, you explained the word neutral pretty well in a reflection earlier this year. You wrote, quote, Neutrality is at best a failed principle that has proved inadequate in practice and at worst is a blunt tool used deliberately by those looking to avoid accountability and controversy, end quote. In exploring neutrality, you identified a grounding concept that test groups agreed on. Can you tell us about that and how it influenced the shift to ethos? Thanks, Chris. Yes, you're right. So, you know, we've been working on this question for almost two years now, and we've been working with our peers and stakeholders about basically how to create a framework for making these decisions. And so we co-developed some prototype tools earlier this year, and I tested them with platform leaders in three countries back when we could still travel, if you remember those days. And you know, as we tested these tools, I actually watched some of them fail very publicly. I won't forget watching a workshop in London in February where participants sat around tables and they tested out one of the original tools, which was this values prioritization exercise. So small groups sat around role playing as platform leaders facing dilemmas and, you know, one part of the exercise was simply to sort and prioritize cards that have had these values words on them. And after 20 minutes, some of the groups only got through one or two words. So I learned this wasn't going to work. We were going to need something different. People would get into these drawn out debates about how we interpret the term transparency, for example. 
and what that means for the hypothetical dilemma that they were facing. So talking about values alone wasn't just help wasn't helpful for getting to a solution. And, you know, I think that may even be why platforms that have these very clear mission statements and clear corporate values are still facing these challenging dilemmas because values alone aren't helping us get to decisions. Because if we can't get small groups of like-minded people to agree about how to interpret values when they face a dilemma, there's no way that we can get competing stakeholders to agree. So we had to go beyond values. We had to move beyond the why of working together because it wasn't enough. Instead, we had to start talking about how we will work together. And that how is what we mean by ethos. Okay, so what exactly does ethos look like in this case? Ethos is the set of guiding principles that came out of our research with our own stakeholders. So that was our nonprofit partners, our corporate partners, donors and funders. And it's an agreement about how we're going to engage with everyone at the table with empathy and curiosity in order to uphold everyone's integrity. Because integrity was that grounding principle that everyone could agree on, not just the personal integrity and individual's integrity in making a decision, but also the integrity of the business model in the organization so it can continue to run. So the ethos process is this how-to guide for helping groups engage in mindful inquiry through interviews and group conversations. Um, And it's designed to help them come to a creative resolution. So the actual process begins by exploring and really getting to understand the root cause of the problem and stopping to understand what power dynamics are at play. So really naming the problem and framing it well. And that helps us identify and then speak with the right stakeholders. So we can conduct interviews, analyze and synthesize our findings, and then we can present that to a group of five or seven stakeholders that we call the Ethos Council. So this is a group that then meets and makes a recommendation to our leadership team. And in doing this, in our testing so far, this process has led to more creative, more confident decisions that better uphold individual people's integrity and also the integrity of the organization. Alex, for some, this all might seem counterintuitive, right? Sometimes remaining neutral makes sense. Journalists, scientists, um, these are professionals trained to observe and report, to avoid expressing opinions, um, to advance the objectivity of truth, if you will. Is neutrality dead or is there still a place for it on an intermediary platform like yours or elsewhere? That's a good question. It has a pretty straightforward answer. Uh, the answer is neutrality is dead and it has a place uh, on our platform and, and others. Um, I'm reminded of an exercise that we we did um, in the process of working on this, where we had a bunch of folks in the room from different organizations um, and we labeled one side of the room with the phrase, neutrality is essential. And then on the other side, um, we put neutrality is garbage. And that's the actual word that we use. Neutrality is garbage. And we asked people to go stand in the place uh, that represented their their thoughts on this. And guess what? People went to both sides. Um, And the way to make sense of this seemingly sort of contradictory result is to think about specificity. 
Um, you know, as an example, I used to be a classroom teacher, a math teacher, as a matter of fact. Um, in the classroom, you know, when I was a teacher, I was very opinionated about the best way to teach math. I had um, um, a philosophy that, you know, developed over time and was based on evidence and, and uh, it was a certain perspective on, on the way that I thought was the right way to um, help kids learn. Now, here at Global Giving, we support a lot of organizations that are education focused, and we are neutral, I think quite appropriately so, with respect to different pedagogical approaches. We don't take a stand on them. This is where the idea of openness comes in. It's in fact a critical part of our mission to provide a, a, a way for multiple approaches, not just one, Right, not just my pet ideas about how to teach math, but multiple ideas to to flourish. And so we're literally neutral with respect to pedagogical approach. So so there's a place for it. Now, where it falls apart is where a platform, its leaders, try to take that idea of neutrality, which does have an appropriate place in specific instances and kind of stretch it to be a blanket or a shield to cover everything, especially under the ultimately false hope that it protects them from criticism for some of the dangerous, bad ideas that, that come onto the platform. So um, it's really that approach, which unfortunately is pretty common still today, this idea that as a platform, you can be neutral. And in fact, we're going to be so neutral that you don't even have to bother us. And we're, you know, safe from any criticism for anything that happens on our platform. It, it's really that idea of neutrality that we're attacking here. The last question is for you both. Right now, you're collaborating with peers and stakeholders to develop a library of tools that will be available to the public soon. How is Global Giving working with other platforms to make this available and how can organizations get involved? Well, so I'll, I'll let you in on a secret that when we first started to work on this, um, uh, it seemed pretty risky because of the sorts of issues that we were tackling. And part of our thought process was let's bring in some other partners, some other organizations to work on this as as protection, you know, to sort of uh, uh, widen the target in, in case um, in, in case we get criticism or too much criticism for for this. Um, but as it turns out, um, that was pretty wise, even if we had um, um, this a uh, little bit of a protective motivation, because um, the fact was that as soon as we started talking about it to to other platforms. Um, um, people's eyes lit up, they wanted to contribute. Um, and we have such a better result now and such a better understanding through bringing this community of partners together. And uh, it's a partnership that we're using to try things out, test things out and, and improve the, the output. Alex is right. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with so many people, including our friends at Candid and Charity Navigator, betterplace.org uh, in Germany, 
um, IG Advisors hosted the event I talked about in London, and we've involved a lot of our nonprofit partners as well, folks who work in Mexico and Kenya and Indonesia and Palestine, for example. Um, and we've had a really brilliant design strategist, Ellie McLaren, who's been helping us make sure that this process is really community-led and user-driven. So we've involved more than 100 people in developing this solution. So it's not just for one of us, um, and it's not by one of us either. It's for all of us. And, you know, the, the folks at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have been involved from the very beginning as well. And just this fall, they helped fund this user research we're conducting now. And they're helping us develop a public-facing toolkit that will hopefully launch next spring. So it'll be available to anybody who wants to try and implement a better way of addressing these high-stakes dilemmas. So if folks that are listening are interested in getting involved and helping us test or, you know, be potential new users, uh, we would love for you to uh, get in touch with us. So you can visit globalgiving.org or you could Google Global Giving Ethos and you'll get our contact information and more information on that page. And you can also follow us on social media at Global Giving. Alex Guerriere, CEO of Global Giving, and Allison Carlman, Director of Evidence and Learning at Global Giving. Thank you. Digital Impact is a program of the Digital Civil Society Lab at the Stanford Center on Philanthropy and Civil Society. Follow this and other episodes at digitalimpact.io and on Twitter at DGTL Impact with hashtag 4Q4Data.